Happy New Year, Lakeview Wesleyan Church. That's when you say Happy New Year back. I've missed you. I love you. That's when you say, I missed you and loved you back. Okay, never mind. I'm going to start uh, 2020 with a confession. Uh, I'm an atrocious golfer. Anybody else an atrocious golfer? I'm not alone. Uh, I remember one time I was out playing on the first hole with a buddy or two and um, saw three women in their 70s come up behind us watching me swing, so I wanted to impress them with my muscle and swung the club as hard as I could off the tee, and um, the ball went 25 inches. It's humiliated. Uh, one of the women said, hit another shot, Sonny. And so I put another ball down. Again, I swung as hard as I could, hit the ball 250 yards. 50 yards straight, 200 yards sliced to the right. <laughs> Finally, I just said to the ladies, just, you guys play through. <laughs> I need to recover. And all three of these women in their 70s stepped up to the tee, I think, if I remember right, without a practice shot, and hit the ball each one of them, straight off the tee, about 150, 200 yards right up the fairway. I was humiliated. I remember seeing them, their heads bob with laughter as they were walking on, you know, those rascals. I told you I'm atrocious. I remember one time being in the fairway, I think with my four iron, and I swung, swung as hard as I could, and the ball actually went backwards six inches. I'm not sure how that happens. There have been many times where I swung hard and whiffed, missed the ball completely, and then I would look up uh, to see if anyone noticed. Someone always seemed to notice. Uh, if there are woods anywhere near me, my ball will find it. If there is a pond between me and the hole, my ball will find it. Did I tell you I'm atrocious at golf? I always need, no matter how long I've been playing golf, I keep needing a do-over. A second chance. A do-over in golf is called a mulligan. A mulligan works like this. If you hit a bad shot, you simply drop another ball and hit from the same spot as if the errant shot never occurred. You don't count the bad shot against your, uh, your score. You just simply act like the bad shot never happened. You drop another ball and hit your mulligan. After 25 years of golf, I still need mulligans. <laughs> After 47 years of life, I still need mulligans. The Apostle Peter, uh, he needed mulligans too, and often. Uh, to be fair to Peter, oftentimes he would hit a great shot off the tee. But usually that great shot will be followed by a horrific shot. It's the Peter pattern. Good shot, horrible shot. Good shot, horrible shot. It's the Peter pattern plastered all over the Gospels, especially in Mark's Gospel. Here's what I mean. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Uh, Jesus asks his disciples, uh, who do people say I am? Um... Some say Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked the more pointed question. How about you? Who do you say I am? 
And none of the twelve had the audacity to speak up except for Peter. I know who you are, Peter said. You are the Messiah, the Christ. Right you are, Peter. Right you are. When it came to hitting the ball well on the identity of Jesus, Peter got it. He just hit the ball 300 yards straight up the fairway. He got the identity of Jesus, but he, he hits a bad shot when it comes to the mission of Jesus. After Jesus uh, gets Peter's confession that he is the Messiah, he says, as the Messiah, my mission is to suffer and die. Here's where Peter hits a bad shot. That was not what Peter had in mind for the Messiah. So he actually, the text says, rebuked Jesus. He rebuked Jesus. <laughs> and then Jesus says to Peter, uh, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. When it came to the identity of Jesus, Peter crushed the ball. When it came to the mission of Jesus, Peter hit his ball in the woods, in the rough. But Peter can still recover from this mess. He can still play out of this mess. Let's go to chapter 10 of Mark. In chapter 10, Jesus uh, invites a rich young man to follow him, to be a disciple. And this rich young man has so much wealth, he's unwilling to part with his wealth to follow Jesus, this radical rabbi. And then Peter speaks up. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And the truth is, Peter did make a lot of sacrifices to follow Jesus. Um, he left his family, he left the fishing business, he left the familiar to follow Jesus around Galilee. So compared to the rich young ruler, Peter shines. He just crushed the ball again. But then... Jesus reigns on Peter's prideful parade, basically saying to Peter, you can't outgive God. Jesus says to Peter, uh, no one who has left all of the things that you've left and sacrificed will fail to receive a hundredfold in this life and eternal life to come. In other words, compared to the rich young man, Peter, you look great. Great shot. But your sacrifices compared to the sacrifices of Christ, eh, Good shot, bad shot. Then we get to Mark 14. Peter's at it again. <laughs> Jesus is heading toward the cross, and he knows he's going to suffer and die, and that the disciples, the twelve, will turn their backs on him in some way, in different ways. And he says uh, to, his, to the twelve, you're all going to fall away because of me, and Peter speaks up, as he always does, <laughs> It says, Lord, even if all fall away, I won't. And then Jesus looks straight at Peter and says, before the rooster crows, uh, crows twice, you will deny that you know me three times. You'll disown me. Before the rooster crows tw uh, twice. And then Peter does it. He crushes the ball. He says, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not disown you. Whew. He just 
crushed the ball 300 yards right up the middle of the fairway. And the best part about hitting a good shot like that is when your friends are around to see it. He did it in front of the 11. (laughs) Crushed it. And now the ball's like a foot from the hole. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then what happens? Peter three putts. <laughs> Jesus begged Peter, James, and John to keep watch with him and play with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter fell asleep not once, not twice, but three times. The Peter who said, I will die with you, can't even stay awake with Jesus. Good shot, horrible shot. But Peter can play out of this mess until later in 14 of Mark's gospel. Peter sliced the ball of his life so deep into the woods that he might not ever find it again. You know the story. This time he didn't fall asleep three times. He denied that he knew Jesus who gave his life for Peter. He denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Peter's not going to play out of this mess. He's stuck. He sliced the ball of his discipleship deep into the woods. Will he ever get it back? Golf is frustrating. (laughs) Discipleship is frustrating. Neither are for the faint of heart. I heard a story about a guy, a friend of mine told me this story about a guy who was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day on the golf course. I think it was maybe the 11th or 12th hole. The guy uh, grabbed his golf bag, walked over to a pond on the course, and threw his golf bag as far into the pond as he could, walked away about 20 yards, turned back to the pond, went back toward the pond, went into the pond, and with his feet felt around for his bag, pulled up his golf bag, unzipped one of the pockets, got his car keys, threw the bag back down, and left. (laughs) Probably never to return to golf again. I don't know. Peter threw his golf clubs in the pond as well. Uh, John 21 actually has the depiction. Speaking of water, Peter in John uh, 21 is out fishing for fish again. He's been called to the mission of fishing for people, but he kind of, I think, gave up on that through the clubs in the water. And now he's out fishing for fish again because fishing for fish is more, it's just safer and more predictable than fishing for people. I think deep down, Peter is ready to give up on discipleship golf. I think he is giving up on the hope that Jesus has the power to make him the rock that Jesus called him to be. I think Peter's struggling with his mediocrity as a follower of Jesus. And I think he's almost coming to a place where he's accepting it. I'm going to be a mediocre disciple, a subpar disciple for as long as I live. Peter needed a mulligan. But he's gotten so many already. I mean, how many mulligans can a person get? Can the already forgiven be forgiven again? Tiger Woods, uh, probably the best golfer to ever play the game, 
uh, found himself in a position he probably never thought he would be in. He needed a mulligan. Uh, he spent most of his golf career on the fantastic fairway and gorgeous green. But then he sliced the ball of his life deep into the woods. Uh, as a kid, at the age of 12, he scored 70 for a round of golf. That's a big deal. That's great. Um, by the time he was 21, he won the Masters Tournament, made him the youngest player to win it. Two times, uh, he was named uh, uh, Sports Illustrated Athlete of the Year, first athlete to ever get mentioned twice. He was the first athlete to earn $1 billion. But then it happened. He sliced the ball of his life into the woods. November 25th, uh, 2009, a tabloid magazine alleged that Tiger Woods, a married man with two kids, was having an affair with a woman named Rachel Yucatel. Um, a couple days after that, Woods ran his SUV into a tree because his wife was chasing him with a golf club. You can't make this stuff up. Sorry for laughing. I laugh every time I think about it. It's not funny. December 2nd, uh, U.S. Weekly released the voicemail message of Wood's alleged mistress to prove it. Uh, over the course of that week, more than a dozen women came forward alleging to have an affair with Tiger Woods. So by December 11th, uh, two weeks after the news broke, Woods came out and apologized for his infidelity and said he was taking a hiatus from the game of golf. But he would never be the same. He lost millions of dollars of endorsements because he's no longer now the clean-cut poster child for the game of golf. Some would say he's never gotten back to the game he once had. Tiger Woods needed a mulligan. He sliced the ball of his life deep into the woods. Will he ever get out? How about you? I think a lot of us here can relate to Tiger and Peter. We may not have lost millions of dollars of endorsements, but I wonder how many of us in this room need a mulligan. Our need for a mulligan comes from two places. Either we replay the regretful shots of the past or we recommit the sinful shots in the present and we need a mulligan. Probably all of us in this room have uh, a tendency to replay a regretful shot from our past. All of us have an embarrassing moment, something in our past, a skeleton in our closet that we're trying to escape and if we're not careful, we keep replaying that uh, horrible shot from the past you said something that destroyed a relationship a decision you made hurt someone you took a sip you took a hit you had an affair you got divorced you quit the job you should have stuck with you said no to a significant opportunity from God to make a difference in someone's life and you missed it. And if we're not careful, the past 
can prohibit progress in the present. And we stay stuck in the woods because of something from our past. And we need a mulligan. And then there's our tendency to recommit the sinful shot in the present. I looked at pornography again. I gossiped again. I spent money I didn't have again. I made my special someone an idol again. I withheld my time and my talents and my treasure from serving God again. I flew off the handle again. All of our friends, it seems, around us are knocking strokes off their discipleship game. They get a golf coach. They figure it out. They don't need as many mulligans as they used to, but not me. The lust that I struggled with as a teen is still plaguing me. I still use arrogance to mask my insecurity. I keep slicing the ball of my life over and over and over again into the woods of anger or jealousy or sinful cynicism or inconsistent devotional life. I mean, I just can't seem to figure this out. And I'm ready to throw my golf clubs in the pond and just accept mini-golf discipleship because I just don't have what it takes. Maybe you need a mulligan. Peter needed a mulligan. And guess what? He got one. In Mark 16, Peter gets the mulligan he so desperately needed. Mark 16, verse 7, is a, is a favorite verse for duffers like me. Here's what it says. The angel said to the women, the women go to visit the tomb. Uh, Jesus has died. They think he's in the tomb. They go and visit. And God sends an angel to give a message to these women. And the message from the angel to the women is this. Uh, Go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch it? The angel sent by God to speak only what God will want the angel to speak says to the women, go tell, my, go tell his disciples and Peter. He singles out Peter. Why? Because Peter probably didn't feel much like a disciple. If the angel said, tell the disciples to go meet up with Jesus, Peter probably would have went out fishing. But he singles out Peter as a way of saying, Peter, I still want you. Here's your mulligan. Now, if you think I'm making too big of a deal out of these two words, and Peter, don't forget, Mark got his gospel material from who? From Peter. Peter was Mark's spiritual mentor, his spiritual father. The two of them met up in Rome, and that's where Peter gave the gospel details to Mark as he recorded them. And I could almost see Peter, tears flowing down his face, telling Mark about this. Tell my disciples, and Peter, Mark my son, and Peter. That's what the angel said. 
Mark, do you see it? God, through a creepy and humongous angel, is trying to let me know that he still wants me. Mulligan. Do over. In John's gospel, the mulligan looks a little different. John 21, as I mentioned, Peter had, it seemed, quit fishing for people and returned to the to, to safe predictability of fishing for fish. And Jesus, the resurrected Lord, shows up on the beach and Peter sees him and uh, Peter runs to Jesus and they have breakfast on the beach. And then you know what happens next. Jesus asks Peter three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked. Giving Peter a chance to say three times to Jesus, yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you. You remember Peter denied Jesus three times, and now he's getting a chance to affirm his love three times for Jesus. And you mathematicians know that a negative three plus a positive three equals, say it, zero. Clean slate, fresh start, do-over, mulligan. This mulligan concept, this do-over concept is plastered all over the pages of Scripture, not just the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament, too. It's in Leviticus 16. If you're doing the reading plan, you're going to get to Leviticus 16 here in a few months. So don't skip Leviticus because there's some gold there. Leviticus 16 is the gold. It's the Jewish New Year. And at the Jewish New Year, after nine days of fasting and repenting, on the tenth day, they celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the way they celebrated it was this way. They took a goat, the scapegoat, to the high priest. And the community gathered around, and the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat. And he would first confess all of the sins that he committed all that year and transfer his sins onto the head of that goat. And then, and this took a while, he would confess all the sins of all the people committed all that year and transfer the sins of the entire nation on the head of that scapegoat. And then someone, some unlucky fellow, would lead that scapegoat through the city and out of the city gate as the people jeered and threw stuff and spit on the goat because the goat carried the sins of all the people committed all that year. And as the scapegoat left the city carrying the sins of the nation, everybody in the new year got a fresh start, a clean slate, a do-over, a mulligan. Jesus is our scapegoat who was led through the city carrying the sins of the world on his back at the jeers and insults of people carried outside the city to be destroyed. Jesus is our Yom Kippur. Jesus is our mulligan. We are Christians. We are mulligan-shaped people, aren't we? Isaiah 53 puts it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on his head, on the scapegoat, the iniquity of us all. 
He was despised and rejected, just like the scapegoat in Israel was spit upon and mocked and jeered. He was despised and rejected. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Mulligan! His compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Sounds to me like God gives mulligans. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. Sounds to me like God gives mulligans. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sounds like God gives mulligans. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Sounds like God gives mulligans. And a mulligan will not become an excuse to keep sinning so that grace may abound. Now, a mulligan is not a, uh, a do-over and a pat on the back, just stay in the woods. No, a mulligan, once we receive a mulligan of grace from God, if we truly embrace it, it will get us out of the rough and back on the fairway spiritually heading in the right direction. The mulligan changed Peter. Peter didn't just stay inconsistent. He wasn't up and down after the Gospels. Whatever came of Peter after the mulligan? Mark doesn't tell us, but Luke does in the, in the book of Acts. The same Peter who cowardly denied that he knew Jesus three times in the book of Acts, chapter 2, is standing before thousands of Jews, and he says this courageously. This Jesus whom you crucified is Lord and Christ. That's bold. How do you explain the leap, the transformation from cowardice to courage? What came in between? Mulligan. A mulligan will turn a Simon into a Peter. I remember uh, getting together with a friend named Rick. He was a pastor, Assemblies of God pastor. And we went to college together, and uh, we were in the same community after college. So every two weeks, we would get together, usually at my place. And we would share our joys and rejoice with each other. And then we would confess our sins to each other, as James tells us to. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you might be healed. And we confessed. And then we'd say to each other something like, Are you sorry for your sin? Do you believe Jesus Christ atones for your sin? Yeah. And then we would speak the words. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And those words of grace got us out of the rough and back on the fairway again and changed us. That's what mulligans of grace do. They, they transform people. But there's one catch. Mulligan getters are mulligan givers. That is, someone who truly embraces a grace-filled mulligan from God will extend 
grace-filled mulligans to people. Peter got it. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, a racist Jew, who believed all Jews were here, and anybody who wasn't Jewish, a Gentile, they were here. He was a racist. But he got mulligans from God, so many, in fact, that he could not help himself. He had to give mulligans to people, too. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter, a racist Jew, is standing in the home of a Gentile, a non-Jew, Cornelius. And he says these words, giving a mulligan. I now perceive how true it is that God does not show partiality, but accepts all people from all nations who fear him and do what's right. Mulligan. Mulligan getters are mulligan givers. Those who truly receive mulligans will give mulligans, moving from grudge to grace. Let me say it this way. The level of our impact as a church will in large part be determined by our capacity to embrace and extend mulligans to get and give grace. And if we become a church of grace, grace place, a place where mulligans are received and then extended, embraced and extended, where we get mulligans of grace from God and we keep giving mulligans of grace to people, if we become that kind of community, and there's a lot of grace here, by the way, I sense it, it's here, But if we become that kind of community, watch out. Because it will attract all kinds of people, broken people like us, to this church. And they might come in drunk or high because they'd rather come in here drunk and high than sober up. They prefer community to anonymity. If we become a place where mulligans are are received and, and given, then Sunday school classes and small groups, when it comes time for prayer requests, people won't say, you know, pray for my Aunt Sally's bunion. It'll be deeper than that. Couples will, couples will say, pray for our marriage. It's hanging by a thread. Pray for my teenager. He's driving me crazy. Help, pray for me that God will help me overcome my addiction. I'm struggling with depression again. And I need you, my small group, to tell me why I need to keep on going. This morning, I want us to start the new year off on the right foot with a do-over. Clean slate, fresh start, new beginning. That's what new years are for. So we're going to go to the table, the means of grace, communion, have communion together as a church which is the embodiment of grace. Mulligans all over the place up here. And then we're going to do something a little different. After we partake of communion, um, you come up here, center aisles, come up, get communion. Two sections over here, we'll get communion there. Two sections over there, get communion there. And you can do, do two things or both, one of two or both. You can, uh, if you need a mulligan, if you need to get a mulligan today, um, then what you're going to do is, over there will be Pastor Jessica, far end, Pastor Jared that way. I'll be in the back. And we just have a cup of water. 
And if you sense a need for a mulligan, to get a mulligan, uh, just come to one of us. You don't have to say anything you don't want to say. You just show up, and that's your way of saying, I need a mulligan of grace from God. And what we're going to do is we're going to dip our fingers in water, and we're going to sprinkle you in the face. We won't douse you in the face. Don't worry. It won't make your mascara run. It will just, we'll just sprinkle you. This is not baptism. This is just cleansing. And as we sprinkle you in the face, we will say those words of grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And I believe God will use that grace to get you out of the rough and back on the fairway again. Some of you need to get a mulligan. Feel the water, hear the words. Some of you need to give a mulligan. You're holding something over someone's head, or maybe you know of someone who is stuck in the woods, replaying a regretful shot of their past, or recommitting a sinful shot in their present, and they just need someone to offer them grace, a mulligan. And you need to pray for the power to give that mulligan. So for those of you who need to give a mulligan to somebody, give some grace to somebody who's stuck in the woods, the altar's open. Come, kneel down before God, and ask God to give you the power to extend that mulligan. So if you need to get a mulligan, find the water after communion. If you need to give a mulligan, find the altar and ask God to empower you to extend one. On the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed while he was meeting with his disciples, in the upper room. He took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven for the bread. And then he passed it to his disciples and said, take and eat this, all of you. This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat it, do so in remembrance of my love for you. On that same night, Jesus took the cup Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven for the cup and passed it to his disciples and said, take and drink from this, all of you. This cup represents the blood of a new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of my love for you. Mulligan. Let's pray. Lord, as we partake of these elements, these means of grace, help us to get past our pride. Help us to be needy like a baby with his mom. Help us to be wide open to receive your grace and then extend your grace. Thank you for your body and your blood. Would you transform us through these means of grace? Get us out of the woods, back on the fairway, heading toward you. In the name of Christ we pray.